Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So I think it goes without saying, but Edge's career is legendary. After developing a riot of a mid-card act that was the catalyst of a tag team renaissance in WWE, he eventually evolved into an even more entertaining main event mainstay whose promos, angles, and counter-driven matches highlighted the top of a card that recovered the rancid post-era attitude quite brilliantly. WWE pretty much peaked in the year 2000. It never got better than that, but when Edge was the focal point, tearing Ric Flair's living the gimmick bit to shreds and working the most underrated Undertaker match ever, it was easy to disregard the bland dreck that was a John Laurinaitis developed undercard. Now, if we're being honest, uneven is the best word to describe his recent return. He spent far too long, about half the time infused, that he could have worked in 2010, which surely betrays the point. Idiotic home invasion angles aside, the Seth Rollins program was strong, proving that there's still some magic left in the in-house WWE style. At WrestleMania 37, Edge was massively over and crafted one of the very best triple threat matches ever. The hysterically intense promos are a bit laughable, sure, but Edge himself appears to have grasped this by pitching a lighter feud with The Miz as 2021 transitioned into 2022. But ultimately though, Edge is worthy of the Hall of Fame, not the WWE Hall of Fame, the real one. But you know what? It very nearly didn't unfold in that way. So that's why I'm here today to talk to you about the formulative years of Edge, which almost led to his own destruction. So let's have a chat as I'm Jules, this is WhatCulture.com, and this is the true story of how WWE nearly fucked up Edge. So of course Edge is hardly the first WWE wrestler that was nearly saddled with a rather terrible gimmick. In fact, several stars who ended up making it were almost saddled with equally terrible gimmicks. The history of WWE, which is wild, considering the promotion once monopolized the entire game for two full decades, is basically one of trial and error. Now, they didn't f*** Hulk Hogan up. When he returned from the AWA, he got strapped up immediately because the WWF didn't have the luxury of mucking about. But other than Hogan, Warrior, Undertaker, and Kurt Angle, they pretty much screwed up everyone else. Or at least took a fair old time elevating them. They looked at Steve Austin and saw Bob Backlund before he went mad. They looked at The Rock and saw him as a hand-clapping goober. They looked at CM Punk and saw a skinny, fat ass who didn't know how to work. They looked at Daniel Bryan and saw an administrative assistant who was quite handy with a hammerlock. And they looked at bloody Becky Lynch and made her do a jig, because that is apparently just what Irish people do. WWE frames this in documentaries, taking forever to see what is in front of countless people as the way that these things go. It isn't. They're just luckier than they are good. But nonetheless, being made to do a jig isn't necessarily a death sentence. Because even in a warped anti-meritocracy, more often than not, even when Vince McMahon really, really doesn't want to do it, most wrestlers deserving of true superstar status are eventually elevated to it. That's not to excuse entire generations, plural, of super-talented upper mid-card 
acts trading nothing wins in storylines so meaningless that none will live on in memory, it's just a counter for the following argument. Because here's the question, just how f***ed might Edge have actually been had the WWF stuck to the original plan? Well, he debuted as Edge, not Chili McFreeze or Fang McFrost or Fringy Wingy. It was just Edge. By 1998 standards, it wasn't uncool. The gothic industrial aesthetic was a few years out of date by that point, but he was hardly beaver bloody cleavage. Neither in name nor stature, he was a well-regarded, tall, handsome prospect. But Edge, as you may recall, botched his debut. After a series of vignettes in which Edge was depicted as an enraged, tortured soul looking for answers at Water's Edge, he worked Jose Estrada Jr. on the June 22nd edition of Monday Night Raw. Now, he won by Countout in 1 minute and 7 seconds. If that scans as a typically Vince Russo development, then swerve, that actually wasn't the intention. Edge, after sending Estrada to the outside with a dropkick, followed up the attack with a somersault senton. The move was delivered with a jittery over-enthusiasm. Edge hurt his own leg, knocked Estrada out cold, and hurt his neck. But the neck wasn't broken, this is actually a misconception. But still, Edge flirted with the stigma of being a danger to his opponents. But he wasn't punished after the fact. He wasn't removed from television. While the original plan of working Savio Vega didn't materialize, he was partnered with Sable at SummerSlam just months into his run. This was a huge deal because Sable was a huge star at this point in time, and the Sable dust was meant to rub off on him. He wasn't buried because they apparently liked him backstage. Well, enough anyway. One creative team member liked him a bit too much though, which in the bizarre world of the WWF actually ended up almost screwing him. Because you see, when authority figures offer advice on which wrestler might make Vince McMahon a ton of money, that actually compels Vince, 9 times out of 10, to not listen. Who the f*** are you, pal? I'm Vince McMahon. And seeing as Jim Cornette was a major and loud proponent of Edge early on, Vince in his weird way first wanted to sandbag Edge out of spite by associating him with the fuck 80s wrestling sabotage that was the 98 NWA revival. Until Bob Holly and Bart Gunn became the new Midnight Express, Edge, as adorable Adam, was meant to fill that role alongside Val Venus, who was going to be sensual Sean. Edge narrowly avoided that hatchet job before he was all set to be introduced with a Vince Russo idea, which was a hysterically Vince Russo idea even by Vince Russo standards. Described in his autobiography as a member of the Bee Gees on crack, the character was all set to have green hair, wear a blue silk shirt and chains around his neck, and read poetry. And he almost didn't even debut as Edge, he almost debuted as Riot and Rage. Now if that reads like a tag team lumbered on a singles wrestler, that's Vince Russo for you. Even when he was good, and he was very good for 1998, in 1998, the man was dumb. Now Cornette was losing influence by 1998 as well. Cornette generated the acclaim in 1997, but Russo brought the numbers in 1998, and it became the Vince Russo show as a result. Russo was an Edge advocate as well, it should not go unmentioned, but it also should not go unmentioned mentioned that Vince McMahon is also fatalistic as a booker. He will book and act terribly just to say, look, you said that that was good? He shit. This is a man who routinely books money in the bank briefcase holders to lose all the time, under the impression that the prop is a shield, and will also work himself into thinking that they are losers because they lose all the time, even though it's a work, and he books them to lose, which tarnishes their crowd reactions. What if Riot and Rage f***ed up his debut looking like a complete and utter geek? Now the man changes in Vince McMahon's head after the botch. Edge is tall, Riot and Rage is lanky. Edge has long, lush, rock star locks. Riot and Rage, though, well, he looks like a headbanger. Edge was brooding and mysterious, but Riot and Rage is a pretentious, sick form poet. If Edge looks like a flattened, stretched out Shannon Moore, 
he might have actually been completely fucked. And what would have happened then? Well, he might have been sent back to Memphis or the various Northeast Indies that acted as developmental at the time. The WWF also had a loose working relationship with ECW, to which Brackus was banished. But that particular fanbase would have eaten Riot and Rage alive for being a searingly fake and cynical attempt into the alternative counterculture. But what about WCW? Well, here in this fantasy, Edge evolved into a super worker eventually, but he wasn't world-class in 1998. And in 1998, world-class talents weren't promoted with much conviction in a Hulk Hogan-controlled company that literally branded those types of talents as just being vanilla. Edge was tall, of course, he wasn't Hulk Hogan or Goldberg, so he would have been absolutely screwed here. In reality, Don Callis dreamed up the name Edge after listening to a radio station with the word Edge in the branding. And that was that, pretty much. Edge was christened with a generic inoffensive name that he didn't even get, but one that he did make very, very famous. And there we go, my friends. That was the true story of how WWE very nearly up Edge. I hope you enjoyed that and please let me know what you thought about it down in the comments section below. As always, I've been Jules. You can go follow me over on Twitter at RetroJ with a zero or you can swing by Live and Let's Dice where I do all of my streaming outside of work and it'd be great to see you over there. But before I go, I just want to say one thing. Hope you're treating yourself well with love and respect, my friend, because you deserve all of the best things in life and do not let anything or anyone else tell you otherwise. As we spoke about today, Edge very nearly didn't get the chance to shine as bright as he did and all I want for you is to go out there, give it your all and make sure that you are being the best person you can possibly be because I just want you to live a healthy and happy life, my friend. That is literally all I want for you. Now go out there and smash it, your big ledge. As always, I've been Jules. You have been awesome. Never forget that. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 